the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Hello, welcome to Worldview Media Podcast, Episode 6, The Princess Bride. Uh, we are joined via the magic of telephone by Jordan, uh, which is why her voice sounds a little bit mechanical. Yeah. So, hello, Jordan. Hello. And I'm also joined in studio by a woman who has experienced that once in every hundred years, true love. <laughs> My wife, Joyce. There you go. And uh, did I mention we're doing The Princess Bride? Uh, All right. Uh, well, that's Bride. what we're doing. <laughs> so here we are. We're doing The Princess Bride. Classic. You got any... Yeah. Uh, let's see, Jordan, what are your overall thoughts on The Princess Bride? I I think it's a really a very good movie, and I've always liked it, but then I did recently read the book, and I have to say the book is better. Really? Yeah. But That's it's still a really one. good movie, and I feel like it's as good an adaptation of that book as they could have made. Oh, okay. Well, now, my my impression is that the book from which they made the movie, that the book is a book about a book. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it kind of. It's, it's very complicated. But, um, yeah, it sort of is. It's kind of presented like it's a commentary about another book. Okay. And that other book is the original Princess Bride. Yes. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I really feel like the Princess Bride concept that the book has is it's just so uh, unique that it's really hard to say, like, yeah, it's like this other thing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of the premise in the book is that he, the author, knew of this book when he was a kid and then later decided to make a an abridged version and then it presents that abridged version. Right. Which, course the whole version that we know <laughs> right okay all right and so you're a big fan then yeah i like it and it is a very good movie it's a classic yeah it is uh what's your favorite line from the movie everybody quotes lines from the movie do you have one well there's the classic line that's the hello <laughs> oh yeah my name my name is inigo montoya yeah. Yeah. Prepared to die. <laughs> so yeah, that's you know, yeah. That's a great one. That's a well-known one, but I think maybe my favorite one would be "As You Wish." As you wish. I see. As you wish. That or bow down to the Queen of Refuse. <laughs> right. I don't know. Everything's really funny. It's a really good line. It's, it's full of good lines. Right. Uh, I think my favorite is uh, you keep using that word. <laughs> I do not think it means what you think it means. 
<laughs> because I think that happens all the time. The question I was going to ask you is, can you think of a word that gets used in our culture a lot that doesn't really mean what the culture uses it like? A word? Yeah. <laughs> I think, to me, the obvious one is the word tolerance, where tolerance is supposed to mean that even though we disagree, we can live together peacefully and, and treat each other with respect and dignity. Yeah. But... As the culture uses the word, it means, no, you're not allowed to disagree. <laughs> and uh, so if you're going to be tolerant, you have to believe what we say, and you're not allowed to have a different opinion. And, uh, yeah. So sometimes when I hear it used like that, I kind of want to say, you keep using that word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they're not really being very tolerant when they say that to you. <laughs> right. It's the opposite. Yeah. Well, I think maybe the one that come, came to my mind when you asked that was um, just the word love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. The culture has a distorted view of what love is, which I think we're probably going to get into as we talk about this. Yeah, that so I provide good segue. <laughs> yeah, that's a good segue. <laughs> All right, so we're analyzing the Princess Bride, and we want to we want to try to discern the worldview of the movie by looking at the five points of the covenant. And the first point is transcendence. And the point of transcendence is to determine who's really in charge in this situation, who's the who's the great power, and so. Joyce, what are your thoughts? What do we see transcendence-wise? Well, it's got to be love, don't you think? True love. True love. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, where in the movie, true love is kind of held up as this ideal, and uh, and it's kind of exalted as that, for which everything else can and should be sacrificed and yeah yeah it's the ultimate value and the ultimate goal yeah what about you jordan you have any thoughts on that um well i think i think that mom's probably right that when she says that true love is kind of the big main uh you know thing right but the other thing that i had noticed about like thinking about transcendence and stuff while watching the movie was that scene where uh, Inigo and Fezzik are trying to find Wesley in the pit of despair. Right. And Inigo uh, gets out his father's sword and, uh, you know, his, the spirit of his father to guide him to finding this man that can help them and, and stuff. And then it actually does do that. So, right. So that sort of beyond sort of helps to, to aid them with finding Wesley and stuff, that was, that was something for me. Yeah, that is kind of a mark of transcendence here, where uh, as soon as that happens, you know that we're not dealing with a purely naturalistic world, that there are spiritual powers above but, and beyond. But was that because of uh, Inigo's love for his father, that he's saying, I need to find this guy so that I can avenge you, and... I mean, was there love involved with that request that, that he was making? 
Well, I think I think there had to have been because even when he's explaining his whole story to uh, Wesley when they're first meeting and about the duel and stuff, he tells him, you know, I loved my father, and so I challenged this guy and all this stuff. So everything that Inigo has done has been about his love for his father and 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 all that. So. So then, it's still. Would you say love? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I would say that it is. I would point out, though, that I think even though it is, even though it is love, and it's obviously an important motivator, I, I, I think still that the true love of the sort between uh, Buttercup and and Wesley, I think that's the really transcendent thing that the movie is about. Yeah. No, I, I think probably so. The other place where I thought maybe there was a bit of revelation was in Buttercup's dreams, where you had the old woman saying, boo, boo. (laughs) Yeah. But those aren't necessarily revelatory dreams. I was realizing that that could have just been her conscience poking at her. Although even that was about abandoning her true love and stuff. Right. You're rebelling against the transcendent power at that point. Well, and then if if you back out of the story and you have the grandpa reading to the little boy, you know, the grandpa's the one who knows the story. He knows what's going to happen. He's kind of the transcendent one in that situation. And still there is a... There's a relationship of love of why he's there when his grandson is sick. And why is he doing this? And, you know, why is he even sharing this story to begin with? Yeah. So Grandpa is motivated by love as well. Yeah. The second point of the covenant model is uh, hierarchy, and it talks about who represents that transcendent power. And I guess that's under that section is where I was going to mention the grandfather and, and his storytelling role. He's the one revealing these truths and... Uh, like mom said, kind of narrating these things. And there's a sense then in which I would say that he is a, a representative of that transcendent, uh, power. But I think in the, in the story itself, it's gotta be Buttercup and Wesley, right? That they are the, <laughs> they're the only ones who really know what true love is because they're experiencing it. And, Nobody else has for a hundred years. <laughs> right. Uh, Any other thoughts on representation there? Or who who else might be a representative? Part of me wants to say Miracle Max's <laughs> wife. I was just thinking about them, actually. <laughs> Not Max so much, but what was his wife's name? Valerie? Valerie. Valerie. That, uh... She wasn't going to let him get away with not serving true love and with, you know, with backing out of advancing the cause of true love. She wasn't going to, she's not going to let him get away with that. Even if it means nagging him to death, she's going to make sure he does the right thing. Yeah. Ethics, for me, in this, uh, in this addition uh, this episode I think the ethical category is the one that I found pretty interesting uh, the third point of the covenant is ethics and morality and how do you know what's right and wrong in this worldview 
and I think we've touched on it, according to this story and this movie, whatever supports the cause of transcendent true love, then that is right. And whatever whatever doesn't support that cause is wrong. And And I think that then... If you're, if you are in support of the cause of love, then you can justify anything else. And so I think that what I noticed was as an issue then, and I don't know if it's a plot point or something that I just don't understand, but, uh, I thought it was interesting that Wesley, when he comes back and he's the man in the mask and, and he, he rescues Buttercup and he's running with her and he still hasn't revealed who he is. Uh, when he finally gets around to telling the story, we find out that he's been the Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, after the story is all told. He's been the Dread Pirate Roberts for the last five years and, and he's left a buttercup to believe that he's been dead for five years. And uh, part of me was wondering, in five years you couldn't find a way to get a message back to buttercup and let her know that you're still alive? Uh, yeah. And you own this pirate ship and you're you're uh, universally uh, respected and feared and, and, you, yeah. and you can't get a message back to her. Uh, I guess maybe I see that as a little bit of a plot hole. I don't know if the if the book makes that more clear or or what. Yeah, I I don't know. Thinking about it now, I can't I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's a that's a pretty good point. And then the the other thing that I was thinking was, what was the mechanism by which Prince Humperdinck was able to choose buttercup to be his queen uh and uh, talking to you about it you had mentioned that the book does give some explanation there's some kind of mechanism like in the tradition of the kingdom that the prince gets to choose whoever he wants and and then she doesn't have much say in the matter yeah, uh, yeah I, i'm pretty sure that something there was something that happened and I don't know. I haven't read it in a little while. Yeah. And, uh, but it is a little bit more clear how that came to be. Right. Well, then the thing that that I questioned was how come Wesley was so upset with her if uh, if she if she he hasn't done anything to let her know that he's alive for five years and. And now she's caught up in this tradition where she has to marry the prince. I'm not sure why she is, uh, why he charges her with being, you know, morally at fault for, uh, going along with, uh, with the marriage and, and all that. Well, uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe Wesley has more faith in the whole true love thing than she does, especially at the beginning. And maybe, because his whole point in going in the first place was to go and seek his fortune. So maybe in his mind, the way that he was seeking his fortune had just changed, but nothing else really has. And he and Buttercup were still supposed to be committed to each other. Oh, okay. So he's getting after her for for her loss of faith in the transcendent power then? 
Yeah, I think so. Well, and you see that in their exchange where she says, but I thought you were dead. Right. And his answer is, death can only delay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Death cannot kill true love. (laughs) Right. You know, which is not uh, necessarily accurate. (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's kind of what I was thinking is that since true love is the higher, the highest power, then to doubt it becomes a great sin and that that's what he was upset about. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the same thing then would be true with miracle max and, uh, he doesn't want to mess with it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's afraid of the concept of true love or something like that. Or I thought it was interesting though, that, uh, his wife gets after him for not, supporting the cause and and uh well but i think with miracle max you know he's been demoted he's been kicked out of his job so right. he may have some performance issues that maybe he can't <laughs> do what he's supposed to do and maybe he's not really miracle he's max fearful. after yeah, all yeah. you know okay yeah so he's fearful his self-confidence isn't maybe what it should have been <laughs> you know right. and even as they leave and they say well i hope it works <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. Okay. Now, uh, was Miracle Max was he was he doing magic or was it just a, a was it a medicine that they gave to Wesley? What were your thoughts on that? Was that was that an actual miracle taking place or was it just uh, medicine that was applied in time and and happened to resuscitate him? Well, I kind of feel like, especially since Wesley was only mostly dead that maybe it was really more of a medicine type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of my thought, too. And that whole th- that whole bit, of course, is classic, too, about mostly dead versus all dead. And that was a pretty classic scene. Yeah. The whole Miracle Max thing is really pretty classic. And has, again, one of my favorite lines at the end, have fun storming the castle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was a good thing. So, well, I'm going to have to disagree with you all and say that I really think it had to have been a miracle. It was a real miracle. Yeah. Okay. Because he really was mostly dead. <laughs> <laughs> had some intervention not happened, you know, I don't think Wesley would have been doing anything else. So, and it wasn't just a matter of, here's an antibiotic. They weren't even sure when they gave it to him if it was going to work. You know, it was like, well, right. you know, uh, good luck. <laughs> I have no guarantees, but we'll put some chocolate on it. Because <laughs> that'll help. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe so. But but I don't know. It, it, I it's presented in such a way that I feel like it's really hard to say where the line is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I had that same thought that maybe it's ambiguous on purpose or something. Well, but if you look at what we can do medically now that we couldn't do 50, 60 years ago, it would seem like magic. Sure, yeah. You know, it really would. Even to go back 100 years, it would be unbelievable. But but you're convinced that what happened here was actual magic. Well, yes. All right. All right. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the other ethical concern I had was with Inigo Montoya and how he's dedicated his whole life to hopefully getting to commit an act of murder in response to his own father's murder and uh and how within the ethical system of the movie where love justifies everything how that was you know that's just fine there was that was a noble and and good thing whereas the bible says you're not supposed to seek your own vengeance and stuff like that vengeance is mine saith the lord and uh, you're not supposed to return evil for evil and, and all that. Now, I admit, I admit, as I'm watching it, y you can't help but root for Inigo Montoya, and uh, you want to see him uh, kill the bad guy and, and all that. So I admit to that. I just, as you, as you sit back from the movie and, and think about what the message really is and what they're saying... It occurs to me that then they allow they allow a motivation of love to justify uh, just really whatever in in that instance. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking about that myself when we were watching it. Yeah. And how casual it sort of is that. Oh yeah, he just you know he's all about revenge and stuff. And then when he finally gets it done, he's like, "Now I've been doing this revenge thing for so long." What do I do now? Oh, right. My whole, my whole personhood is wrapped up in this quest for what I believe is justifiable homicide and, and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. And then, and then also, uh, the, then the switch is apparently made really easily from that to, well, consider a life of piracy then, where we, uh, you know, loot and thieve and and kill and destroy. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe this is a good occupation for you. <laughs> well, someone was getting out of the business, I think is what was going on. Right, there. yeah. Have you ever considered? Right, right. I'm sure Wesley wasn't a bad pirate. I bet he was pretty good. But still, yeah. you know, piracy is not really a great <laughs> a great ethical yeah, even, place even to be. But I think they were just saying whatever for that. Sure. You right. know. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, pirates are good. But there is a lot of romanticism with pirates, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. There just is. And there's that connection with, oh, to be wild and free on the sea and, you know, yeah. your own master and and take what you want and sure. do what you will and, yeah. you know, the freedom of that. So there is there is that aspect of the the pirate component there. Yeah, where piracy becomes kind of an idealized, softer thing that it really is. And, but my point is, I think the movie did that with love itself. And, uh, you know, the true love that Wesley and Buttercup are talking about is a, is just as fanciful, really, as anything in a, in a fairy tale. You know, the... the the true love in the Princess Bride is really 
no more factual love than you know what you might find in a at a pornographic website or something like that it's it's a fictionalized uh fake version of what love is and and well, that's kind of extreme there <laughs> well i mean it it may be on opposite ends of the of a spectrum you know uh i'm not saying that porn does it the same way but still with like harlequin romance books and and stuff like that where you have this idealized idea of what romantic love is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like and and real relationships rarely if ever meet up to those sorts of standards and and nobody talks about the fact that you know 20 years later you're still waking up in the bed next to this person and and uh <laughs> and maybe yesterday they really made you mad and <laughs> and what are you going to do about it today when their breath stinks and and all this stuff <laughs> and uh you know you just uh, it, it's fanciful and it's not real and uh so what they did with piracy i think they did the same thing with love yeah that but still at the beginning of the story you don't see that this is true love that they have you know because she's she's a persnickety little thing all right and you know she's kind of mean she's not really very nice <laughs> she's not considerate she's not thoughtful uh, she's not an exceptional dresser i mean so she's got some issues here but he sees something more in her and i think it you know by the time it's true love she's like Oh wait, you know, this guy's more than just the old farm boy I thought he was. And so uh is it real? Yeah, probably not, but um I do think that there's some times that they're getting to know each other a little bit more and seeing and seeing something through faults, which is part of love is saying, "Okay, yeah, you're not perfect, but I'm going to love you. Anyway. Sure, exactly. And that's that's kind of my beef with modern versions of love, like Jordan was talking about, that the culture doesn't even know what love is. And, and I'm convinced that, yeah, those feelings are there, and they're great when they happen, and, and uh, you know, it's part of how God has designed us. And, and so all of that is good. It's just that that's not the whole story, and there does come a time when, you have to decide that you're going to be in love and you have to decide that you're going to continue to love and, and work through the fact that maybe this guy really is a jerk sometimes. And, and how are you going to deal with that? And so to be trite, uh, love really is a decision and it's not just how we feel about it. It's an ethical decision too. You have to decide you're going to do the right thing. Well, Ultimately, yes. And I think for Christians, you see that displayed in the actions of Christ, that he decided sure. to go and do yeah, these absolutely. things that were a horrible, unthinkable punishment he didn't deserve. But right. he decided, this is what I'm going to do. This right. is what my father sure. requires of me, and this is what will be done because of that. And yeah. so, yeah, definitely there's um, love requires actions, and those actions can be painful to yourself. Yeah, right. And, and uh, you know, that's just... 
it's not that there's anything wrong with the warm, fuzzy feelings and with the the melty <laughs> heart and, and all that. That's all good stuff. But Well, it is, but that's not the depth of love. That's very shallow. And, right. and you have that, and from that it grows deeper. But, um, you know, I do kind of see some of that relayed in the movie as well. Oh, you think you see their love maturing and... Yeah, well, growing. you know, especially from the beginning to the end and, um, you know, when she's just being stinky about a lot of stuff. Oh, farm boy, give me this thing right here by my hand, you <laughs> right, know. Right, and And you see him really being just as you wish. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to say, you ridiculous girl. He's being self-sacrificial yeah. in his love. That he's just saying. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see him. And then she comes around and she's like, hey, wait a minute here. Right. This is fun, but this is something more. (laughs) In that part of the narration that she realized at some point that when he was saying, as you wish, and was serving her, that was his way of saying, I love you. Yes. Yeah. Well, see, now that's more acceptable to me. That's. (laughs) Yeah, it is more acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) I wish somebody would do that for me. <laughs> but you see in the movie how it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Uh, any other ethical uh, questions or concerns that you had? Well, you have... Oh, you got one? Vicini. Who, Vicini. Course, who goes, you know, the way of bad people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so that might be under the category of sanctions, or we start talking about how were the the people who followed the ethical system in this world, how were they rewarded? Or the ones that rebelled against it, how were they rewarded? And uh, I think it's pretty straightforward. Everybody that gave true love its due winds up living happily ever after, right? Right. But you have Humperdinck, who does wind up living. He lives, yeah, but... Yeah, but not happily ever after. Right. Well, we don't know that for certain. Oh, I think we do. He's still in charge of a kingdom. He's still got... Yeah, but he's never going to be the same. He's going to be humiliated, and he'll have to live with the pain of knowing that he doesn't have true love. Well, he doesn't have the courage. So the six-fingered man got was got what was coming to him. And, yeah. And then we don't know much. I imagine that uh, Fezzik and Inigo uh, wound up. I imagine they stayed together On as the friends. Yeah, ship. yeah. <laughs> that they both become pirates together. That's my. My thought on it. Does the book have anything to say about any of that? Um, well, actually, it's kind of interesting. The book has a, uh, a kind of a, uh, like an epilogue, which is like the first couple of chapters of a sequel that isn't really a sequel at all. It's just these chapters, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, they're all kind of still riding away from uh, this, you know, the Humperdinck's place, and and then they they all kind of settle down as a little family, and Buttercup has a baby, and I don't know, they're all sort of there together, living, the four of them. Oh, really? Like, 
Yeah, with these two living babysitter guys and stuff, you know. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't a pirate's life for them after all. But the movie never makes anything one way or the other. Yeah, right, so. right. So in the so book... The, the movie is concerned, but it's all very open. Yeah. In the book, they just li- live their lives as servants to true love. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. All right. And then the other, the last issue is the future of the covenant, which he kind of talked on, uh, talked about. We imagine that uh, Wesley and Buttercup must go on to have a great family and and live happily ever after and and uh golly i don't guess there's much more to be said about that (laughs) what do you think is that the future of the covenant okay and then did we lose jordan or is she here she's there okay all right she's there all right so do we give the movie a pluses all around yeah and I know Jordan likes it, so A plus. Yeah, I would give it an A. An A. A plus or A. Oh, I guess an A plus. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I liked it a lot, but I liked it just for all the stuff that's so memorable. Memorable about it, all the ridiculous lines that have seeped into our culture and stuff like that. And, and uh, so I'd give it an A, not an A+. Plus. I probably don't ever need to see it again. But. Even though all the excellent sword play that went on. <laughs> right. Masterful sword play scene. That's true. Because I'm still wondering how Wesley knew to go and save Buttercup from, like, the scene and then... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because he just shows up on the scene, huh? Your, yeah. f- your phone is kind of... <laughs> being hard to hear you there but jordan pointed out that wesley shows up as the man in black and we're not really given any way of knowing how he knew it was time to go and save buttercup so that might be a a bit of a plot issue for us i don't know pirates always are in the know about stuff right he has informants all over the place You know, I can see that kind of happening, that he just says, well, you know, I need to come. Because he, he obviously knew something was up, and maybe that's why he didn't come before. I don't know. Why did he come Why did he come at that specific time? So Yeah. We didn't talk about the dad and the dad, the grandpa and the little boy. Is there anything okay. with him? That's... What do you want to say about that? Well, I think you see a shift in their relationship as well. From the beginning of the story to the end of the story. Okay. You know, because the little boy was like, oh, no, not Grandpa. Uh, well, <laughs> you know? It's a simple character arc, but it is a character arc. Yeah. You know, yeah. he just comes and he squishes my cheeks and I don't feel uh, right. good. And, oh, yeah. come on, don't, don't subject me <laughs> yeah, to right. an afternoon with Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is kind of a sweet little... Uh, story arc that happens there the deepening of their relationship and then even with you know oh kissing if it's kissing i don't want to hear the kissing <laughs> and then you know by then it's like well you know i could hear this <laughs> right, right right i could hear yeah. it so 
Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, just when the, he's leaving and he says, you know, well, maybe, maybe you can come back and read it to me again. As you wish. You know, and then the classic line, as you wish. <laughs> and so, you know, you see that from outside of the story. I, a lot of the times we look at it and we're looking just at, you know, Wesley right. and Buttercup. But oh, yeah. There's characters that are just a little bit outside of that that are still <laughs> part of the story. And so, yeah, you know, I don't want to. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is nice how he kind of, the little boy almost even kind of grows up listening to the story, you know? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, that's true. All right, what do we have on tap for next time? We have... <laughs> what? We're going to... <laughs> We're going to depart a little bit from what we've done so far. We've done six movies in a row. And next time, on episode seven, we're going to do an episode of a TV show. And uh, we don't have the episode title with us right now, but we will by the time this uh, podcast is posted. So we'll include that in the description of this podcast. But we're going to do an episode of the <laughs> USA TV network cult classic, cult classic <laughs> series, Psych. And, uh, and if you haven't seen Psych, look it up on Netflix. It's uh, one of our family favorites. And uh, so I'm sure that'll be really funny. And and uh, so we will post the name of the episode as soon as we get it. Anything else to say, then? Uh, All right, well, that means it's time to stop then. Alrighty. So, goodbye, podcast land. Uh, remember, uh, take some diligence, but we need to try to apply the Word of God to every area of life, including entertainment and arts and media. That's all good and should all be done to the glory of God. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.